fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. Who does that? We've been entrusted with that responsibility. We're the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennon. Great to be here, Dan. Very excited. We've moved on to uh, the next generation, which is interesting for me because I thought I'd watched all of this series, and I realized I only watched a lot of the series, not quite all of it. So this will be fun. Well, it's funny. It's almost twice as long as the original series as far as seasons goes, which I thought was very odd. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves, Denon. we got to introduce our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you? Are you still broadcasting from an undisclosed location? Yes. Well, yeah, I got, I've, I've commandeered an alcove here at the Unicomplex. Uh, you know, hopefully no one will... No uh, cyborgs will uh, come over here while we're recording. I hope not, Ben. I hope you're prepared in that eventuality should it happen. But never fear. We are going to talk about the next generation of Star Trek called, appropriately enough, Star Trek The Next Generation. Now, I got to tell you, this was easily my favorite Star Trek series, so, uh, at least to date. And I've only seen three so far, so that's not saying much. But I thought it was really odd that... The length of time the original series was on was three seasons. It was almost 20 years later before they did The Next Generation, and that was on for, I think, seven or eight seasons. And since that point, it's been on almost continuously. There's been some Star Trek iteration on the air you know, since the late 80s with a small brief in between Enterprise and Discovery. Uh, I thought that was pretty crazy. I got to ask you guys before we begin, what do you guys think was the the catalyst for bringing the show back on the air? Um, Dennis, I'm going to go with you first. You know, I, I think probably a lot of it was just kind of the timing, right? You know, Star Wars rekindled, I think, a science fiction sense. It probably, you would know this more than me, Dan, being the TV expert. I, I think it got more affordable to do slightly better special effects and to really get into space. Though I have to tell you, watching Next Generation again, there were moments where I'm like, yeah, those planets aren't much better than the planets in the original series. <laughs> I'm like, now the ship was a little sleeker, a little shinier, a little cooler. I have some concerns and issues about that later on. But I, I think it was just a cultural timing. And then you entered, you know, nerddom or geekdom or however you say it, became popular in a way that it really wasn't. Um, and so it just kept going. Well, I will tell you that the special effects, there were definitely better special effects available to the production crew of The Next Generation, but they didn't use any of them, I don't think. I think some <laughs> CGI and the interstitials, but that's about it. Uh, ben, what do you think? Yeah. Well, one thing you got to watch out for is, especially the ones on Netflix, they may be using the remastered special effects as well. <laughs> I'm so glad you told me that because I was watching Next Gen and I was like, this looks really good. Yeah, so when they, <laughs> so when they, when they did the Blu-rays, they redid a lot of the computer graphics. <laughs> I feel like an idiot now. I got duped. Oh, yeah. you just burst my bubble. Okay, that explains everything. Okay. All right, <laughs> but, fair but I, I love Next Gen. It was, it, was, it was the first Star Trek I saw as a kid. Um, you know, I don't think I really watched the original series until probably I was an adult. But I definitely saw a bunch of you know, next-gen and DS9 and Voyager episodes growing up. 
Um, and to me, it just, it's just beautiful. Like the, the, the vision they took of Roddenberry's future and brought it forward into this more modern era. I think it had coincided a lot with like how the space world was kind of getting reinvigorated a little bit post moon landing. You know, we were, you know, starting to do space stations and other stuff. I think it kind of all contributed to getting that excitement back. I think you're probably right. I will tell you one moment I'm going to share with you guys. I remember the first, the night that Star Trek Next Generation premiered, not because my family was into Star Trek. I don't know why I remember this, but I had a TV in my room. It was an old TV that like click, 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 and it spin the bottom, <laughs> right? And I just remember right. watching this. I don't know why, but I definitely saw the premiere when I was very, very young. And <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know why that's a memory in my head. But maybe we can explain it through Borg technology. Maybe I've got an implant that made me remember <laughs> things that weren't really there. But so we're going to talk about with Star Trek The Next Generation, big theme throughout it is cybernetics. And they have did some great things with cybernetics. So we're going to focus in on that area. To do that, we have to talk about the Borg. Now, I got to tell you, as a first timer here, I thought the Borg were really cool. I love the way that they can kind of assimilate organics and technology. And they really work in unison to enhance their strength. You know, uh, I feel like there might be some, uh, Denon, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but I feel like there were some communist ties here as well, the strength and numbers kind of aspect of it. I feel like there's something going on there. But before we begin, I got to tell you, I thought it was odd that their ship was a cube. That doesn't seem very aerodynamic, or does it not matter because there's no wind resistance? Just doesn't matter, Dan. You know, what? What? It, 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 that's what I find kind of great about it, is if you think about a robotic mind, perhaps they just go with a simple shape and and they make the cube. Now, it's weird, right? Personally, I, if, if I was sort of, I don't know that I really think of the Borg as artificial intelligence, but I, I, I was wondering why they didn't go spherical in mm. some ways because yeah, yeah, yeah. a sphere, you know, has the greatest volume for the least surface area. But at the same time, you know, the problem with those spherical walls is you never really know where the corners are and where do you hang your posters and how do you make the shapes work right, out, yeah. right? right? So I was kind of feeling the cube from a decorative, you know, sort of design point of view. Well, th there's a big reason they didn't use a sphere, and that's because they didn't want it to look like a Death Star. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you are nailing it, Ben. You're nailing it with these, uh, with these, the real reasons. These are functional reasons why they didn't exist. I thought it was because cubes are very organized, you know, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, but. and and the, the nature of the Borg in general is as they designed the ships, they wanted them to look alien. And in a way, the most alien thing to a human is something that doesn't look aerodynamic. Because we're used to seeing mm. spaceships that do fly in atmosphere and do have wings and control surfaces and things. So just a big cube is one, it's ominous, like there's clearly no, you know, artistic thickness to it, right? There's no brilliant architect who created a magnificent shape of, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's yeah. an alien who went for efficiency and that's a scary thing where there's no, there's no <laughs> consideration true. for beauty. It's all utility. No, I think that that's, that's really, I mean, I think that kind of sums it up. Um, and, and they are terrifying because one of the things that I really like about them as far as from an enemy standpoint goes is once they capture someone, the technology or the person, they essentially take that knowledge or technology and then every Borg has it and they incorporate it into their culture. So every single thing that they overtake, they incorporate it, they assimilate it. 
and they get to use it. I really like this, especially because Picard gets taken over and can, then they kind of have access to everything that, the, that he knew on the Enterprise, which is scary. But now let's talk about that. If you're taking over a person and you want to absorb their knowledge, what is the best way to do that, do you think? Uh, ben, I'm going to go with you first on this. Well, I think the Borg have the right method. It's you. They talk about having a, you know, neural transceivers is kind of the technical term where you put something in your brain that can talk to your brain and also has a subspace radio that lets you talk to the collective, which is this major subspace uh, network of all the all the drones and the leaders and everything or the leader. There's one, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. which we who we meet in first contact i can't think of a better way other than just hooking your brain up to a radio and letting you talk to everybody yeah that makes sense so then how does the physics work on that and can you explain a little bit what subspace means because as a newbie i had to i had to learn what that meant well you know subspace is tricky it, it's a classic um science fiction moment because as far as we know at the moment it's not real but it it's a very 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 common science fiction theme with different names and different approaches. It's the idea really of extra dimensions. Um, Another sort of aspect of the structure of reality that is different than just three-dimensional space and one-dimensional time. And the interesting thing is it's, it's something we look at now with string theory and other theories. We look at other dimensions. We talk about brains with their sheets of different dimensions. We talk about small curled up dimensions. Um, but it is fundamentally the other piece of it in normal space and time. We communicate always by electromagnetic waves that oscillate and move at the speed of light. The cool thing about subspace is its basic sort of modes of oscillation are very different. And though there is an upper limit, you, you, you do basically communicate almost instantaneously with everything. Think of it, yeah, as that extra dimension that allows you to slip around the challenges of moving through space at a finite, slow speed. Because it's also where you go get warp drives from by utilizing subspace. Uh, it's very handy from a writing standpoint, for sure. Very That's handy <laughs> from a writing standpoint. <laughs> very handy. Well, so one of the I kind of went a different way with this because what I thought was this idea that if, let's say they were going to incorporate me. They're not going to get much out of me, but let's say the Borg pulled me on board, right? <laughs> Come on, you're the analytical mastermind, Dan. <laughs> Shh, I don't want them to take me. Hold on. Okay. So l- let's say they took me on board and they want to take everything out of my noggin. I really thought of this idea of basically digitizing my brain and then storing it someplace so that they could actually access it forever, right? Like having some hard copy of it. I feel like the Borg would do something like that. And and one of the things that's kind of interesting, I, there's this great web, there's this great website that um, an article that I'm going to put up on, on the website that talks about how do we live on after death? This is a big topic of conversation. And it seems some there's two companies that are really doing this. Uh, one's called Replica, one's called Augmented Eternity. And essentially what they do is they take a person, so they would take me and they would scrape all my social media, like my posts, everything that I've said, how I respond to things. And then they would create like a chat bot, like a, an AI personality that was just like me and they would be able to essentially you know do that that seems like a way we would do it now but it's not exactly you because when you're on social media you're putting up a whole different per- version of you than than what actually exists so I thought that that was you know kind of a downside but this company augmented eternity what is kind of interesting is their goal is not to replicate necessarily an individual 
but to get a collection of individuals. So let's say they wanted the brain trust. They would replicate us, and then they could ask a question of the brain trust and get an answer. And their idea is essentially to create a digital collective unconscious, to borrow a a Jungian term. And that seems very Borg-like to me. So it's interesting that we're thinking that way. Oh, I I agree, Dan. And and I think what you see and what you hear is kind of why it's a little different, why, why, you know, Ben's discussion of it is is, is a little more aligned, I think, with the examples you gave than the simple digital copy store. And that is the fundamental difference between where we're going with cloud technology versus the, the, you know, the laptop or the desk machine that just sits in your office and you store the data there. So much backup is happening because information gets shared on multiple machines throughout the web. So if you think of each machine as a different one of the Borg creatures, right? As soon as we take Picard's memories and broadcast it across this sub, you know, space network, you're almost, in effect, storing it everywhere at the same time um, with multiple backup systems versus having to make a single digital copy that's sitting physically on a disk. The Borg, um, I don't know actually what you call them, I just realized. The Borg creatures, the Borg elements, the individual Borgs. Drones. They're drones. Oh, drones. I like that. (laughs) Thank you. I I was drawing a blank there, Ben. I was just, you know, throwing things out. Um, Good work, Ben. You know, the, the drones are your individual hard drives. Those are the disks that it's getting stored on. So it, it's kind of a cool, scary, weird system from that perspective. And we get the sense that they're all, in a way, storing each other's memories, at least bits of them. Because once you're in the collective, you hear everybody's voices and you hear and you see everyone's memories. And you yourself are going to remember some of those things. And so I think everyone kind of backs each other up over the whole network. Yeah, that makes sense. I do want to say one nerdy thing here really quickly. You know, they're called drones. They have kind of a hive mind. They almost have this very, like, insect-like approach to everything, which is cool, On you know, from, from a story standpoint. But what, what everyone yeah. gets wrong is they have a queen, which you mentioned we see in First Contact, who's their leader. But that is how human beings think of a queen. In the insect world, the queen is just yeah. the person that replicates. They're just the egg layers. They don't actually run anything, um, which I just everyone always makes that 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 mistake. Uh, that's me being nerdy. I'm just gonna go out and say that. That's fine. Um, Dan, I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly follow up on that though because of course where we also see this many times. I just have to make this reference is Hordak and the <laughs> Horde in She-Ra. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. is the Borg in many ways. And I'm going to argue slightly better. And if we still had fascinating fights, which people should go look up, a great series. Great. Um, groundbreaking. I, I would love to put the Horde against the Borg. <laughs> oh, I love that. Maybe we'll do a special episode. We'll do a quick little uh, episode of the Borg versus the Horde. I actually like that. That could be a fun little episode we'll do. Um, I love that. And and as you mentioned, we you know we jumped in. I still am going to say there's got, I feel like in 300 years in the future, downloading a brain, you know, Ben, I know this is kind of your world, uh, downloading a brain. I know it's extremely difficult now. I feel like it'll be possible in the future. But this communication network, this um, faster-than-light communication, I think is key to having every single Borg have all the information at one time. And we see in one of the episodes, they almost Mm -hmm. have little nodes around the ship. Uh, That seems almost... That doesn't seem as advanced as I would think it would be. Could we improve on that? Well, I think, Dan, it really comes down to... It's interesting. The nodes are kind of an added efficiency for the ship. And it is kind of weird to have them, but maybe the ship 
need something a little more Wi-Fi-ish, a little more, you know, cellular tower-ish for some reason that that's kind of unexplainable but you do need a way to kind of mess with them so you yeah. need nodes well, so you I can think, shoot at them um. i think it also just comes <laughs> right. down to power in a way like if you're if you're a drone you can only transmit so far and you can probably only connect to so many other drones at once without you know having a lot of your processing power tied up with all these individual connections it's a lot easier to have a conference bridge on your cube that, you know, that connects mm-hmm. all the drones within its range and then, you know, mixes all the voices together. So you only have to make one connection rather than billions. That actually makes a lot of sense. Ooh, I, I, I like that, Ben. Real quickly, Dan, I do think what's scary a little bit is, you know, if you're just talking about being connected as the Borg is within the ship, you really don't need the subspace. You're all close enough that just regular kind of Bluetooth connections are going to work. Again, someone should if you if you're just jumping in now, you should go back and see our discussion of this um, with Westworld. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think that'd be great if they if that's what they got out <laughs> of assimilating Earth technologies yeah. to get the Bluetooth to kind yeah. of. <laughs> well, kind we of do learn from there, right. it's a, again, it's a Voyager episode, but Voyager has a lot of Borg dealings because it takes place in the Delta Quadrant where the Borg are from. And there's one episode where they find a cube that had um, got shut down, and all the Borg had deborged themselves and were now living on a planet and they needed to use in order to talk to each other telepathically they had to use relays and things so it kind of sounds like the drones actually can't talk directly to each other they have to go through i just love the idea of getting deborged <laughs> and then and then yeah. would they get reborged if the thing came back <laughs> up you know who knows uh w- one of my favorite parts of the borg besides all of this idea of, of this you know idea of them having everyone's knowledge was interchangeable prosthetics. This happens almost immediately as soon as we see them. And it really speaks to this biological, technological interface. Uh, We have a resident expert, Ben Seepser. How does this work for you? When when you see the technology, how does that look for you? Well, I think in some ways it just shows another great example of their collectivism and efficiency is that you know, if a Borg dies, they take the critical parts off of its body and then recycle them, reuse them for an, a new drone. So, you know, w- when they make a drone, like the first thing they do is they put on a fancy eyepiece so that you now can see better than you used to. And those eyepieces, they just have them around and they can fit on anybody. And I, and they, they're all very different. So it kind of seems like maybe you specialize a little bit as a drone and you get different eyepieces depending on what kind of task you have. And their arms are all sorts of different shapes. So maybe you get, you know, different, you know, if you have a little saw, you know, maybe you're a cutter drone, but if you have a, you know, a lightning bolt <laughs> emitter, then you're, you know, you're an electric, electric, electrocuting drone. I don't know. It's very possible. It could also be like their version of peacocking, you know, just having these <laughs> yeah. fancy little things around that they can kind of show off. Uh, I mean, we've definitely come a long way from the pirate's peg leg, uh, you know, and even in medieval times, they would strap like a leather strap and a knife when you would lose an arm. These guys essentially seem to, I don't know if they remove arms, but we see a baby that's born in one of the episodes that's already got the AI technology on them. I feel like they actually remove some, I guess what they would consider to be unnecessary or or maybe less evolved biological parts so that they can add technologically advanced parts to them, like arms, like legs. They definitely do. We see that. We see them cut they we see them cut arms off of newly assimilated people so they can put a cool robot arm on. 
that that seems I mean, but that's like perfect Borg mentality, yeah. you know, and, and in truth, yeah. you know, we did a whole episode, uh, a previous fascinating gadgets, gizmos and GBT episode on on Doc Ock arms, you know, and, and there was a yeah. guy, a drummer who has a prosthetic arm that's got two drumsticks on it. You know, he's got like almost a third arm. And, and there's one. This is a really interesting one. The most the world's most advanced foot belongs to a guy named Alec McMorris. Uh, and he basically had his he had to have his leg amputated, but in a similar fashion, he's got he's working on this prosthetic. I'll put in a, a link on on the on the website. And essentially, as he walks, the leg supports his weight, and also using AI can adjust to his movements. So the leg almost has a mind of its own to be more fluid and in step, almost more than a natural leg. This seems to be the way that we're going. So it would almost make sense that you would start to remove biological components to add more advanced electrical components. I I will just say, Dan, that I agree in many ways, but I did also find it funny um, ben, you you sort of alluded to this, and Dan, I loved your description of sort of the peacock moment because some of those robotic arms, I'm like, that seems really not that useful. <laughs> um, you know, like like particularly when when Picard is taken, random tools they were creepy and they were scary, and if you were in a horror movie, I would not want to see them. But it wasn't really clear how useful they were in a modern ship for anything that you would want to do. It was just kind of weird. And you couldn't hold a gun with him. Maybe you don't need to hold a gun. I don't know. I, I looked at that and said, I'd rather have a hand. Yeah. Just just me. Just, just well, go in there. that's the scary thing about the Borg is that almost everything they do is telepathic. Like, the collective isn't just a isn't just a communication network. It's also like a repair network. When you get hooked up to the collective, that bioenergy or whatever they whatever it's called, is healing, has healing properties and repairing properties. Like, they think to repair the ship. They don't really physically actually repair the ship, or at least not the minor stuff. Yeah, we, and we see a ship, we see it get re- repaired in, in, in some of the early episodes. Yeah, and, and when they're repairing, they're all in their nodes. They're not out there welding and putting things back together. They're in their nodes concentrating on repairing the ship. <laughs> I think you have a very biocentric view of, of how the Borgs work, Dennett. I think if you had, from the Borg perspective, I think cutting off an arm actually is, is advancing what they can do because one of the things I got to give them credit for is their their methods are actually when you really think about it the borg evolution their methods are really great but their goals of assimilating everyone are not but but they're very interesting when you look at it from a tactical standpoint i think no i, I i'm gonna have to agree with you. The, the tactics cutting off the i'm just saying the thing they chose to replace it with i wasn't impressed by <laughs> like if you're gonna cut off my arm and you're gonna give me a cool robotic arm I don't want one that's just going to be scary horror movie robotic arm. I want something that actually can do something way more useful. Hey, if you're a Borg, you don't know what those things are capable of in, in their that's hands. That's true. Now, now, one of the things we talk about, we talk about the eyepieces. Everyone seemed to have their own little eyepiece. I happen to like Picard's, uh, the little <laughs> red laser that comes out, <laughs> which they shoot Very directly cool. into the camera every single time that he's looking. But this interchangeable eyepiece, this is really interesting because this also ties into another great part of the Star Trek Next Generation world, and that's Geordi's visor. Uh, this is, I mean, so these two things are, are really cool. This idea of advanced optics. And I got a, one other question here, guys. I know you guys are nerdier than I am. So of course you're going to know the answer. Uh, I'm going to go to you first, Denon. Do you know what visor stands for? What visor stands for? In the next generation world. Oh, it, 
Oh my gosh, you threw me because now I'm all thinking about his visors. They stand for funny hat you wear when playing tennis and golf. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably like visual enhancement sensor operative reductive device. Wow, you're really, really close. I'm going to give you a crack at it, Ben. Uh, he didn't got it as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> visual instrument and sensory organ replacement. Uh, it was replacement. The R threw me. I, I couldn't figure out replacement. Well, you also said enhancement. There's no E. Um, it's just V-I-S-O-R. <laughs> they don't spell it correctly. Uh, I never said I could spell. Never said I could spell. <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, but but I, I think that I, what I love about this is this idea that – so Jordy is he's, – he's, he's born blind. So he doesn't actually have – he's not born with a, with a classic visual input, which makes what they do for him very interesting because I think the brain would process – this type of stuff better with someone who doesn't have the experience of seeing the way an organic eye would see because that way it's just brand new, you know, and, and I think he's the perfect person to have this technology because essentially it's like a tricorder. It's like a visual tricorder. It can analyze yep, everything yeah. about the world. This is really interesting. So what about this, this interface? Ben, I'm going to go back to you. This interface with recreating an eye into our brain but with mechanical technology, how would that work? Yeah, so getting the visual data into your brain can be done the same way our eyes work, which is you take your 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 data from your visor and you plug it into your visual cortex, just like you see. You see there's little nodes. When he takes the visor off, you see there's little nodes in the side of his head that the visor plugs into. That doesn't really make sense because your visual cortex is actually in the back of your head, which is kind of weird since your eyes are in the front of your head. But, you know, evolution does hmm. weird things. Uh, sure, <laughs> that we've learned that, yeah. For sure. But, but you know, there's, there's, we've done this with people today, where we've taken cameras and basically plugged them into your brain, and you can, and people can see again. And so, to do this to somebody who's never seen before, like I imagine it would work amazingly well in some ways because that is what your brain, your brain would adapt to that exact input, and you would just be used to it. Kind of like uh, people who today who are born deaf and get cochlear implants at a very young age, it's just that's their natural way of hearing, and it's it's that it just works. Yeah. Well, and here's what's interesting about this is there is actually uh, the Hong Kong University of Science and Tech. They've created a robotic eye that mimics the biological eye almost perfectly. And it's for humans or for robots. They're actually installing them in some robots. But essentially, it recreates all the parts of the eye, how the light comes in, how it connects. And then there's an interface into the brain, into the optic nerve, uh, which connects to the visual cortex. Uh, I didn't know it was in the back of the brain, but that is really interesting. Uh, but this is really cool. I'll put a link up on the page. This is fascinating. But you can also, once you have that, that the connections in place, right? Like once it's connected to the optic nerve, then you can swap out the camera. So you can add night vision or you can add infrared vision. Or, you, you know, when we get far enough, more advanced, you can have, it does both of those things or sees in the ultraviolet spectrum so you can see how insects see so once we have that it is not you know when we look at Jordy's visor it has all these little it looks like a harmonica you know it's got all these little things along the side well if what if each one of the little slits or whatever you want to call them is a different sensor you know he could have 35 different sensors all on that one visor all looking through the same thing feeding him information I, it seems very very possible yeah very and like we know from the show that he can like see radio signals and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. you know, he's, he's like a human mantis shrimp, you know, where mantis shrimp can see 
22 different colors compared to our three. You know, we're, we're chumps, you know, compared, compared to the mantis shrimp. Yeah, sure. Well, and, and I do think the very interesting thing is you, as you both have said is how the brain is actually more adaptable than we sometimes think. And you've got to ask the question, you know, what is the brain going to do with the wavelengths it's not used to doing, right? So the visual cortex is used to dealing with signals, but by the time they get to the visual cortex, they're not wavelengths of light necessarily, right? Light hits your eye and there's a whole lot of chemistry that happens, mm -hmm. physics and chemistry between the light hitting your eye and those neuron signals being interpreted by you as color and images. Um, I was looking at something recently and it, it really pointed out, you know, we think of, you know, I don't know what it is. You mix what, um, blue and yellow and you get green. Did I get yeah, that right? Yeah, Probably yeah. I got that wrong. Did I, I did. No, that's oh, great. Cool. Yeah, there's a commercial that right. did that. Yeah, yellow and blue makes right. green. But, but if you take a blue wavelength and a yellow wavelength light and, and just kind of shine them arbitrarily somewhere, they don't mix to make the same wavelength that we consider green as a single wavelength. Mm -hmm. So your brain is doing something different than just mixing light. And so it'd be really fascinating how it you know, reacted to all of these other wavelengths and ways of looking. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I believe the yellow and blue makes green. I think that was a Ziploc commercial, if I remember correctly. So you knew that okay. the Ziploc thing was tied at the top. Uh, so it, it does work. That's a really interesting point. And I think it shows just how complex this is, but it's crackable, you know? And I think we're, we're, oh, we're sure. really on the way there. And I think Next Gen was just such a great show when it came to cybernetics, just how it was able to show what the future looked like. And in some ways, you know, very similarly to how Star Trek, the original series, predicted the future. I think NextGen is doing a great job with that, with something that's significantly more complicated. But let's so let's talk about errors, additions, omissions, things we want to talk about, but we're not going to. Uh, ben, anything from this series you want to talk about? Well, I also this isn't from the series directly, but from the movie First Contact, where we see Jordy's future contacts. You know, at some point mm, he gets yeah, rid yeah, of yeah. his lame old visor and has telescoping crazy eyes that, that are. That are just awesome. Yeah. yeah, those are really great. I love that miniaturization into the contact yeah. for sure. Denon, you have anything? Well, one big thing is in Next Gen in the bridge, I really didn't understand the chairs at the navigation and weapons places. They're, they're sort of super loungy. Like, I, I, I really wasn't sure why, like, you were leaning back so much and your legs are really out. I, it, they didn't seem ergonomic. Maybe they are. And just in general, I was really struck by the furniture. I don't, I don't know why, Dan. I was just watching this again and I'm going, Lots of comfy chairs, lots of cushions, lots of interesting primary colors. A very, very weird decorating um, scheme. Um, so that and, and lots of extra lights on the side on the side of the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we I like the shape of the new Enterprise, but I wasn't sure: are those windows? Are those lights? Are they just decorative? Are they there? I don't know. All three. I'm sure it's all three at the same time. Is my <laughs> guess. Um, those are really interesting questions. I, I mine is mine is one show specific. There's an episode called Q Who, where in the first scene, Jordy is talking to a new ensign who comes in, and she asks for the replicator for a hot chocolate, and she says, "May I have a hot chocolate, please?" And Jordy says, "Well, why are you being so nice to it?" And the, she says, "Well, we should be courteous to AI, or it can be dehumanizing." And this is actually a conversation we're having now. We see kids who are just yelling at Siri and, and barking orders without we've lost a level of courteous and politeness 
Um, you know, and, and I think that that's really interesting that they talk about it there. And also, Ben, you're going to love this. I'm surprised you didn't mention this. I love that they tried to shut down the Borg via a redundant algorithm by oh, yeah. really trying to make it figure out and, and find a shape that doesn't exist in time or space, and it doesn't compute, and they shut down the Borg that way. You had to have loved that one. Yeah, that was fascinating, although it, it feels a lot like the trope of, you know, telling a robot, you know, giving it a logical fallacy and having it blow up, you know? <laughs> right. So I actually, Dan, I, I forgot. I have to add one more since you mentioned the Borg. Right. Um, I, it was unclear to me why the, the first time when, when Picard, they get him back from the Borg and they discover they can send a sleep command. I wasn't sure why the sleep also led to self-destruct. That confused me. It went by real fast. I listened to it twice. <laughs> I, I'm not sure why going to sleep at the wrong time leads to self-destruct. If someone gives me a sleep command and says, okay, I just sleep, I'm like, cool, extra nap. <laughs> I think that's great. I mean, look, if anyone has answers to that, I think we got a perfect place for it, and that's on social media. If you want to answer these questions, you can contact the show at Pod on Twitter, at FGGBT on Facebook. But you can also get in touch with us, individual members of the Brain Trust. Ben, I know you're active on social media. How can people find you? You can find me on all the major networks at BSeepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. Denon, where can people find you? So you can find me at Twitter and Instagram, at Denon Michael, just reverse my name. Um, then look for me on Facebook. you got to add prof. It's at prof Denon Michael. I am on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind and on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn. So we are again talking about a show that is prophesizing the future. We're giving you a lot of incredible technologies. Be responsible with technologies. It can be very dangerous. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenn co-production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening